0: The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Good morning, Park Church. Good morning to all of you here in the building, and good morning to you guys online. Today's scripture reading is Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. So again, Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. And when you fast... Thanks Jason. Good morning. Hope you're all well. Uh, For those here in the building, it's good to see you all again every week, seeing some faces I haven't seen for a while. And so uh, thank you for being here. For those online, thanks again for staying engaged, whether you're gathering with your gospel community or in a home or apartment by yourself. Uh, We're just thankful for you and praying for all of you in this season. Um, As I've been preparing for this particular message, um, it's Uh, a passage that, uh, or a topic at least, that we looked at last Advent, uh, this concept of fasting. And so for this past week, just thinking about, okay, you know, am I like redoing a teaching from December, or is there something else that God wants to do in me, or potentially in us in this season? And I really strongly feel the latter. I think we're in a different type of world than we were in 2019 in December. Uh, Maybe not as much as we think, but at least the sort of uh, illusions and delusions of the world and the sort of stability that you might have felt uh, last year, uh, a lot of those have been shaken up. And I think God has some really significant things uh, for us in this passage, Um, but we we need him. Uh, We need him today. As we were praying before the service, we were taking time and we were uh, singing a song and then just taking some time to do some listening prayer. God, is there anything you want to say to us? Is there anything you want to do in the church today? Just trying to keep a posture of openness to something he might want to do. And, and we were singing this song and it had uh, this couple of phrases like, uh, you're welcome in this place. Just saying like, we, we want you to, to be here. And then this kind of concept of we're actually surrendered, like to whatever you want to do, uh, we want you to do among us. And then we were listening and this, this question was just like haunting me. Uh, as we were doing this listening prayer, it was this, do you really want me? Do you really want me? Do you want the service to go well? Do you want your life to be good? Do you want things to be stable? Both for me, but also a question for you. Do we really want God to meet us in these moments? Do we want God to work? Do we want the manifest presence of God? We know that God is everywhere, but do we want his manifest presence, his presence to be experienced? Because when God intervenes in our lives, It meets us with His grace. It's disruptive, it's transformative, it's healing, but sometimes He changes things and strips away things that we would rather not let go of. And so I want to encourage you as we approach this passage today, where God's going to actually call us through the teaching of Jesus to practice this way to cultivate a deeper hunger for Him, we need to ask, do we want Him? And so I'm going to pause for a minute. I'm going to kind of ask us to calm our hearts before the reality of God. He's here with us. Uh, We kind of let that question sit on you in this moment. Uh, Do you want God to meet you, to work in your life, uh, to bring transformation? And then let's ask him to do that today. Um, Father, we want to be a people uh, who truly believe that you're welcome in this place. Obviously, this is your world. We are your people. You've created us. You have all authority in heaven and on earth. But we want to be a people who have a posture of openness. And we want you to to work in us. But I confess in my own life, and I imagine in many others uh, around this room and around our city and around the nation that are engaging with us today, uh, there are things in our lives that we don't want to let go of There are things in this world that we are grasping for, clamoring for, uh, things that you haven't promised to give us that you don't even want to give us because what you want is for us to find satisfaction and joy in you. Um, And so would you help us to believe that you are good, that you're faithful, but also help us to believe that you are the one who satisfies, that you are the treasure, uh, that you are the kind of source of everything our hearts long for. And would you today give us a deeper hunger for you And that we would grow as a people who express that hunger through these practices and ways to cultivate and express a deeper longing for you and the satisfaction you bring. So pray you do it powerfully. In Christ's name, amen. Um, If I were to ask you today, as you think about the Christian life, not just like what is the essence of Christianity, but the Christian life, the things that Christians are kind of engaged in as you live, and I were to say, if you were to boil down, what are like the top couple practices or activities that Christians are supposed to do, right? Like the, the, the types of things that Christians do. Like you might say uh, Bible reading, like we should read the Bible. I learned I should read the Bible. You might say prayer. Uh, we should pray periodically. We talked about that last week. So we were like, yeah, I should be praying. I should be communicating with God. Uh, prayer, right? You might say going to church, uh, like being involved in a Christian community of some kind in some way. Uh, You might say giving to the church, if you had a church that really kind of like pushed that regularly, like, hey, this is something that you have to be doing. You might say if you like were discipled through some sort of campus ministry, like scripture memory, or maybe if you grew up in a church with like a children's program that did a ton of scripture memory, like I should read scripture. Like you might even say if you've been around Christianity long enough, uh, like something like evangelism, like I should be telling people about Jesus, like I know i 'm supposed to whether or not you do that, whether or not you engage in that kind of activity like you 've got these things that you think these are the things, uh, but i 'm curious for how many of us what would fasting kind of make it into that top tier list fasting this concept of actually. Abstaining from food for a given period of time in order to cultivate a hunger for God, if, if fasting has made its way into sort of your regular diet of spiritual practices, and my sense is for most of us, not for everybody, but for the vast, vast majority of us, uh, if we were to ask the question, is fasting a regular part of your kind of spiritual life, your Christian living, most of us would say No. Um, which is interesting because in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is in the middle of a Sermon on the Mount going to actually refer to three core practices that were common and sort of like the, the, the basic core three of the first century followers of God, the Israelites, the Jewish people, but then also translated into early followers of Jesus. And these three core practices that he addresses in Matthew chapter 6, number one is actually generosity towards the poor not just general giving, but generosity, a heart of generosity towards the poor and the vulnerable. Second is prayer, which is communication with God, kind of cultivating this interpersonal, relational, actual, communicative relationship with the God of the universe. And the third one that Jesus speaks of is fasting. And so in in Matthew 6, he's gonna talk about the motivation behind fasting, but in this first phrase, he says, when you fast, and he's presupposing that fasting is a part of the day-to-day kind of warp and woof of everyday kind of like Christian living of his followers. This is going to be a part of the way you live. And the question that I've been asking, and I've been asking this for a long time, is like, why, why isn't it? Why isn't it a common practice for most Christians today? And I think there are a few reasons, and we'll talk about some of these today. One of them is just basic understanding. We don't really get it. Uh, we don't understand what it even is, other than, like, not eating food or, like, deleting Facebook or something for Lent uh, or chocolate or whatever. Like, I'm always like, what's the thing I really shouldn't do anyways, and how do I give that up for Lent? Because uh, that feels easier. Um, like, what, what, what is it? Like, so the first question is understanding, so we struggle to understand what it is. The second is motivation. Even if we were to understand what it is, why? Why should we? Why do we want to? Is it just a checklist thing, something we're supposed to do? Or is there something like deep within us that fasting is an expression of? And the third is is how, like just often the lack of an action plan. We live in a day where it's very easy to come and sit in a church service or listen to a podcast or kind of engage in some sort of like environment where you're kind of engaging your mind. And maybe, maybe your heart is stirred up a little bit. And there's like, man, I learned something and I'm kind of like motivated and inspired to do something. And then it's like, what's, you know, what's for lunch and what time do the Broncos play? Oh, next week. Did you know that? Delayed a week. Broncos game postponed because of COVID. Patriots ruined it again. Uh, Always ruining, always ruining things. Um, And so what what is it? What is it? Like, how do you actually have a plan of like, okay, I understand it. I even see why. I even feel why. But to begin to say, I'm going to actually organize my life and take some steps towards incorporating and growing in this practice. So that's what we're going to look at today, what it is, why, and how to kind of take some steps. And in my sense is not like, I'm not just trying to introduce you to a new thing to add to your life. Um, I'm learning more about fasting even this week about it as an expression of things that are in my heart already. Things that are in your heart already that we're finding ways and looking for ways and sometimes don't know how to express. That fasting is a God-designed means of expressing and cultivating a hunger for God. It's a God-designed means of expressing and cultivating a hunger for God. And so I want us to see it um, in the passage, but I want to kind of give us a little bit of a, a background to what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, So if you're familiar with the Gospel of Matthew, we've been in the Gospel of Matthew for nearly a year. Um, And essentially, what Matthew's doing, he was an early follower of Jesus. He was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He followed him around. He watched him heal. He listened to his teaching. He watched the way he lived, watched the way he served, watched the way he loved, watched the way he confronted things, watched the way he spoke truth, and then also brought mending and grace and forgiveness to people, and then ultimately watched him be crucified on a cross suffer and die, watched him be buried, and then saw him three days later on the third day risen from the dead, sat with him and learned from him for another 40 days, watched him ascend up into heaven, and then lived the rest of his life living out the mission that Jesus gave Matthew, which is go all around the world and tell people, about who I am, what I've done, and what it means to follow me, what it means to be the people of God. Go make disciples. And so the gospel according to Matthew is one of Matthew's ways of being obedient to this call. I want you to tell everybody the good news about who I am and what I've done and what it means to follow me. And so he wrote a gospel, a story about Jesus to help us to do that. Now, what's interesting about the Gospel of Matthew is he framed the whole story, the sort of narrative structure around the history of Israel, which is very familiar to the people that he was originally writing to, sometimes less familiar to us today. And so the structure of the story isn't just to kind of like go like moment by moment through Jesus' life, but the way he frames the whole thing is to present Jesus as the king that the world is longing for who's bringing a kingdom that your heart is aching for and is actually inviting you to be a part of this kingdom where you can experience a reconciliation with God and find everything that your hopes and your dreams and your longings are kind of like craving. You can find those in Christ and in his kingdom. And so as he kind of walks through the, the story of Jesus, he begins showing how Jesus began proclaiming the good news of the kingdom I'm here, the king is here, the kingdom is here. Follow me to participate in God's mission to bring renewal to the world. Follow me, you can experience reconciliation with God, healing in your life, transformation, and hope. And as a part of this, he starts going around inviting people, you follow me, follow me, follow me. And as people turn to him, they're experiencing healing from all kinds of brokenness, forgiveness, grace, restoration. And then he kind of leads these people up to a mountain and he sits down on the mountain and he begins to teach them the ways of his kingdom what it means to live as the people of God in the kingdom of God. And this is what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's instructions for how to flourish as humanity, as you were designed from the beginning to flourish. He's essentially teaching what a rehumanized life looks like if in our rebellion against the reign of God, our separation from him, we enter into this sort of destructive path that's dehumanizing, degrading, that ultimately leads to death and separation from God, he's actually saying you can be reconciled to God and follow my way of life and learn what it means to be a thriving, flourishing human according to your design. To be human. And as a part of that, he's teaching about what true righteousness looks like, what it really means to live as you were designed before God. And so in chapter six, he's talking about these practices that people have distorted and started using Christian or spiritual practices to kind of get something from people and to kind of earn favor or applause or reputation or acclaim from people instead of actually using it to cultivate the hunger for God that you're made to kind of find joy in. And so he talks about giving to the poor, talks about prayer, and now he talks about fasting. And so I want you to understand that because it helps us understand that fasting is a part of what it means to be human. It's a, it's a natural part of what it means to be human. So what he's teaching us. This is a part of the thriving, flourishing human life is the practice of fasting. How so? Well, I think we have some misunderstandings of, of what it is. Uh, first, Uh, we often think of fasting mostly as abstinence or abstaining from something. So we think of fasting primarily as not doing something for a period of time. So maybe it's not eating food or not eating a particular type of food or not, again, being on social media during Lent or not doing this thing that I already shouldn't have been doing in the first place or whatever it is, like we think about fasting as not doing things. Uh, Biblical fasting is, is way more than that. We also tend to think of it primarily as about food. And so even today, there's, there's fasting in our culture, like inter, intermittent fasting, which is like the dietary trend of the past two years is this concept of like fasting periodically. And I'm just like, there are books about this, like lots of books about this. And I'm just like imagining, pitching, you know, a book about fasting to a publisher and you're like, all right, so I have this idea. It's kind of novel. It's a new way to lose weight. Don't eat, you know? <laughs> What do you think? You think it'll sell? And they're like, man, that's brilliant, genius. You know, like, oh my gosh, like what a, what a crazy way to like lose weight, stop eating for periods of time. It's like, well, sure. Right? But there, I mean, there's science behind it and it's like a, it's a good thing to think about or, or whatever. That's not biblical fasting. It's not biblical fasting. What is biblical fasting? Um, biblical fasting is kind of purposely refraining from food or some other basic necessity. So purposely refraining from food or some other basic necessity for a set period of time in order to actually cultivate and express a hunger for God. It's a abstaining from in order to and it needs both. To actually understand kind of the heart level motivation it needs both, both the abstaining from and the in order to in order to cultivate or to express a hunger for God. Um, there's a New Testament scholar uh, named Scott McKnight who wrote a book on fasting, and essentially, what he's doing, he's correcting a lot of distortions and distorted understandings. But the primary thing he's addressing uh, is these two kind of approaches to fasting. One, he calls the instrumental view of fasting, which is where we use fasting as a means to get something from God. And so, it's like um, I want to see God do something in my life, and so He's it's not happening, it's not coming. So finally, I'm desperate, and I'm going to pray. And I'm praying, and it's not working, and so I'm going to pray harder. And so now I'm praying harder, and it's still not happening. And so, like, man, maybe if I fast, I can really prove to God how serious I am about it. And then he'll give me the thing I long for. Then he'll do the thing I'm wanting him to do. And so we think of fasting essentially as, A, we have this kind of, like, uh, thing we want, and, and then we fast in order to get it, right? We have the thing we want, we fast in order to get it. So it's mostly about this practice of fasting as an instrument to getting something. In the, in the Bible, the way you see it is much different. It's what he calls the responsive view of fasting, which is there's something that's happening in our life or in, our, or in the world or in our community or in our family that is making me ache. It's, it's grievous, it's painful, it's broken, and it's like gripping me deep down in my soul. And fasting is a way to respond to that sort of like spiritual pain, this like inner person pain, it's a way to align your body with the pain and the ache that you feel. It's saying my spiritual kind of like hunger and sense of like the not rightness of my life, the not rightness of the world, the not rightness of something in my family or in our nation is kind of like, I'm gonna use fasting as a way to align my spirit and my body. And so my body's gonna start feeling the ache. And this is why kind of quite naturally when there's massive moments of grief and loss, a lot of people lose their appetite. It's because your body is like connecting to the sense of grief you feel in your spirit, in your soul. And so fasting is a way to express this, but it's also a way to cultivate it. If you have this sense like this isn't right and I don't know that I'm feeling desperate or or longing for God to do something here, I don't know if I'm feeling the pain, but fasting is a way to help your body and your spirit align. So in the Western world, we tend to sort of separate the kind of spiritual life and the life of the body in this sort of like dualistic framework. And the Bible is not like that. That often our bodies help our spirits feel what they're supposed to feel, and also, our spiritual life affects our body. It's why anxiety often and depression have bodily manifestations. It's why fitness and other things like that can actually help kind of cultivate kind of emotional health. Like it's your body and your spirit and your emotions are just your whole being. And fasting is a way to integrate these things in moments of aching and longing and grief. It's a way to respond to it. So again, the question is then, why don't we? Um, why why don't we? I want you to see in the passage some of what Jesus is is addressing here. Uh, Verse 16 says, when you fast, again, presuming you do it, in the New Testament, this community did fast. They fasted often twice a week. Uh, at most times throughout the year, twice a week. They also fasted for seasonal times, like during Yom Kippur, kind of religious holidays. They also fasted for situational things when there was oppression coming or a kingdoms coming and kind of ravaging them or there's brokenness and idolatry and they're just feeling the weight of things. They would call a solemn assembly, let's fast and pray because we're aching in this area of brokenness and we want to cry out to God in the midst of it. So fasting was a part of their culture. And so he says, when you're fasting, when you're fasting, don't look like Don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces in order that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they've received their reward. Um, So one of the negative motivations or the unhealthy motivations is to get approval from other people. Um, We've talked about that the past two weeks. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it um, because I don't think that's the main thing going on in our community. I don't think many of you are like really fasting a lot to post on social media like I've been fasting a lot for all this stuff. And, you know, like, I don't think many people are fasting a lot in order to be approved of by other people because I don't think many of us are fasting. So, like, uh, so w- what, what's the issue there? Well, there's another kind of false motivation that you see all throughout Matthew chapter 6, which, again, is this idea of using spiritual things to manipulate God. Again, I want to use this spiritual practice to get God to do what I want him to do. So that's the kind of talk around prayer a few verses earlier in Matthew 6. It's like, hey, you're heaping up all these words in order that like through your many words, God might finally do what you're asking him to do. And that's not what it's about either. It's not about getting God to do something. It's about expressing and cultivating a hunger for him, that he is the reward. He's the ones we long for. So these are like bad motivations for fasting, but I'm still asking, why don't we? But why don't we? What's the right motivation? I think one of the reasons why we don't, and and perhaps the most significant one, apart from not understanding what it is, is that we are already satisfied with the things that the world has to offer. We're not hungry for God. That's why this kind of eerie question that I felt like the Lord just asking, do you want me? Do you actually want me? Park Church, do you want me? Do you want me to be your king Do you want me to meet you in the pain? Do you want me to meet you in the brokenness? Do you want me to bring revival? Do you want me to bring hope? Do you want me to bring healing and restoration and reconciliation? Do you want me? Do you want me? And I think if we're honest, a lot of our life says, no, I'm very much satisfied with the things that the world has to offer. And so this image that I've had uh, for the past few years, and it's more or less based off of... Um, this concept from a philosopher named Charles Taylor. So Charles Taylor talks, wrote a book called The Secular Age. Jamie Smith rewrote that to package it to make it palatable for people like me. And, uh, and essentially what he's saying is that in our kind of Western civilization, we are finding enough meaning and satisfaction and joy in what Charles Taylor calls the imminent frame. In other words, the material and the kind of temporal, the immediate that we can find meaning, we can find satisfaction, we can find some degree, some sufficient degree of happiness in the things we can do and accomplish and feel and taste and experience and touch in the here and now, so much so that a hunger for God isn't like on the forefront of our mind. Because we're busy like quasi-satisfying our kind of deepest desires in these sort of fading, fleeting things we can build. And so the image that I've had is like we're building our life inside this this cardboard box, right? So you've got this box and your whole life is in it. Your family and your relationships, your career aspirations, where you live, kind of your, your recreational life. And, and it's all kind of like you're making it work in this box. And, and you're kind of painting the walls. And again, you lived, you lived in the Midwest like me and you're like, the walls of the box aren't as beautiful as Colorado. And so I'm going to rearrange the box and like go to Colorado where there's mountains on the walls of the box. And that's a better box. I feel better about a box with mountains in it. And then it's like I'm pursuing this relationship but it's challenging and so I'm going to ditch that relationship and come over here to this relationship and I'm going to go to this church for a little while because it feels good and feels right and I'm going to kind of hang out there. When it feels uncomfortable, I'm going to come over to this church and I'm going to pursue this career but when it's not giving me what I want or this employer or, and I'm just like constantly rearranging the furniture of my life to make my box something that I feel okay about, satisfying enough. And we're having enough success in standard kind of American living to not feel this deep hunger for God. And then there are these like moments that you just feel like this pain, this thing you can't fix, a relationship that broke, and longing for justice in the world, and, and dissatisfaction and struggles with sin. And you can't fix it, and so we distract ourselves, but we're all doing it inside the imminent frame, inside the box. And what God's doing, and I think especially in a season like 2020, is he's ripping open the edge of the box to shine his light through to say there is something transcendent that you're made for. There's something eternal that you're made for. That joy and meaning in life wasn't made to be found inside the sort of life you can build in the box, that it is outside of the box. And so the, the walls start ripping, and we start like taping over it or kind of twisting our life to avoid it. And God's saying, no, 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 I'm right here. I'm right here. Pry open the cracks in the box and find God there. Find God there ready to meet you in the brokenness you feel relationally in a season that's divisive, where you feel isolated and you're longing for connectivity. Pry open the box and you feel injustice and brokenness and division around what solutions we should be pursuing and how to engage in the middle of this political season. And pry open the box when you're feeling the kind of dissatisfaction in your career and there's health struggles and chronic pain and pain in your family and brokenness and regret like stare at the crack and pry it open. And fasting is a way to pry open the crack in the box and say, the ache I feel, the ache I feel is an ache for God. And so I'm going to stay here. I'm going to linger on it. I'm going to let my body feel the pain through kind of integrating my spiritual longing and my physical hunger. And I'm going to move into this moment and find God there to cultivate this experience of brokenness in my life is a a longing for God. It's a hunger for God. It's I need God. And so you respond to the brokenness and the ache by the practice of fasting in order to experience God meeting you in that moment, bringing the reality of his kingdom and his love and his nearness and his grace and his healing and his hope and his peace and his joy into the brokenness. And that's why we Fast. That's why right now there's so many things that we ought to be saying like, oh, I just feel this ache. And instead of kind of getting angry in social media or instead of like trying to control the scenario of our life and rearrange everything to make it good again, like to slow down and enter into this practice that Jesus has given us to say, God, we need you. I need you. My family needs you. This church needs you. This city needs you. This nation needs you. The world needs you. So the question I want to ask you is, where are you aching right now? Where are you aching in your life for your family, for loved ones, for our church, for the city, for the nation, for the world. Where are you aching? And Jesus has given you a practice to cultivate in that aching, to respond to it by aligning your life and your body with a hunger for God. And when you lean into that, you begin to experience what you're made to, which is in the brokenness of the world. As we live in a world where the curse of sin has found its way into every kind of crack and crevice of society. We can let those things actually redirect us to long for the God who's coming to make all things new, to reconcile people to Himself, to bring healing and hope and love and reconciliation to one another, and to restore the whole world. And I think this is a season to fast and pray. I mean, if there's a season where all of us are having our box, boxes shaked, shaken, Shaken, shaken at the same time. Like we're experiencing this, like real sense of like corporate shaking, where our boxes all just got furniture that tumbled over. And what if instead of like all of us kind of frantically trying to fix up our boxes and try to get the country to fix up its boxes, and you know, what if, what if we began with a solemn assembly where we are fasting and praying and begging for God to move? What are you doing, God? What do you want us to see? How do you want to disrupt our constant? attempts to build life inside the imminent frame. And what might you want to do in us? And I think when you can actually hone in on the why, what you're aching for, then we can talk about the how. And it's not that complicated. The how's not that complicated when you're motivated. And the how's simple. It's, it's to start with why, to actually identify what, what are you fasting for? What are you responding to? And identify that. We'll give a moment to think about that in a minute. What are you aching for? What are you aching that God would do? And then inside of that, to say, how can I kind of organize my life to create spaces in the rhythms of my life to to actually align my body with what I'm longing for God to do? Now, you don't have to fast from food. There are sometimes really good reasons to not fast from food. For dietary reasons, also in a message like this, I know that it triggers stuff with people with different eating disorders or unhealthy relationship with food in any way struggles with that. And so I want you to know you are loved. There are a lot of people in our church community who have or are walking through journeys like that. We all have the stuff that we struggle with. So if, if fasting is triggering for you kind of unhealthy history and kind of meeting you in the middle of a battle where it feels like, is this healthy for me? Just to find safe people to talk about that. The point isn't food. The point is finding ways to cultivate hunger for God in the midst of those moments. And so there may be other things you could abstain from, things that you need or enjoy or are part of your daily life that you're going to say I'm going to push away from that for a set period of time. And then just to take baby steps. Simple, simple steps. It was uh it was a couple years ago, I had not exercised. I played sports my whole life and then like basically after like in the middle of grad school, like stopped and uh and just like haven't exercised much in in my life since then. And so it was a few years ago, I was like, counselor was telling me, you should exercise. It's healthy. I'm like, okay, yeah, no problem. I'm like good at exercising. I always was. (laughs) And uh, turns out, uh, wasn't. And I remember, all right, I'll just start with a simple mile. I used to run like 90 minutes straight for uh, often and uh, start with a simple mile. And about 10 minutes into the mile, catch me, it's not a good mile time. Ten minutes into the mile, uh, I'm like, <sighs> you know, like stumbling, walking. I was sore for like three days, and, uh, and I just wasn't fit for that, right? It's something I had to learn to design a plan to take small steps into. And that's the way spiritual practices are. We try to bite off this huge chunk of this thing. or like, that was horrible, and that was miserable, and I hated it. It's like, man, just what about taking a meal? Or one time of, of the day, once a week, right now, and say I'm going to create in this space. I'm going to redirect my mind to this area of this ache, and I'm going to pray that God would meet me in that space. Or maybe if you've done that before, to do a, two meals, like breakfast and lunch. So eat dinner one night, and then fast from breakfast and lunch, and create pockets in the morning, in the middle of the day, to redirect your heart and your hunger towards God, and a longing for Him. Those are just some simple steps you could take. But to align, what am I aching for? And where am I going to actually create these spaces? What am I going to fast from? When am I going to do it? And I want to encourage you in this season, there are times for corporate fasting. We'll talk about that during Advent. But don't tell anybody about it. Just do this for God. Do this for God. Maybe there's something that's safe that you could talk to, to explore it with, but don't, don't talk to somebody to impress them about it. Like that's what, there's like, there's appropriate times for fasting corporately, but here Jesus saying, pay attention to your heart. Do it for God and then respond and reflect on what God's doing in your life. This is not something we do to earn anything from him. In fact, there's a story in Luke chapter 18 where Jesus tells a story about a person who fasted twice a week like he was supposed to, and he went up to the temple to pray to God. and He said, God, I I thank you that I'm not like other people. You know, I'm not like extortioners like this person over here. I fast twice a week, And I give tithes of all that I have. Like I'm given to the temple and I'm fasting regularly. Aren't you happy with me, God, that I'm better than like these lowly, you know, hooligans over here, like this tax collector, like Matthew, the writer of this gospel? And then it says there's a tax collector who is the sort of broken and outcast of the society. And he beat his chest and he said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I have nothing to offer you. I don't fast regularly. I haven't done anything that I could be like, aren't I good? I know I'm not. I'm I'm broken. I've turned from you. And he wouldn't even lift his eyes, but just beat his chest in a moment of pleading for mercy. And Jesus says, that guy, not the other, the non-religious guy that admits his brokenness is the one that goes home justified or declared right before God like loved and accepted by God, not on the basis of things he's done, but on the basis of God's posture of love, which Jesus put on display in the cross, where he died for us in all of our failures, all of our weakness, all of our brokenness, to meet us in our deepest need, to satisfy our deepest longing, which is a longing to be reconciled with God and a longing for his kingdom. Jesus meets us in that to give us grace and love, and it's inside of that safe covenant of love, the secure covenant that now we say, oh God, I want to hunger for you, so I'm gonna follow these practices, not to earn something, not to prove anything, but because I want you. I wanna know you more, experience you, and walk with you in this life. And so that's why we can kind of cultivate this hunger for God in the midst of the pain of life by pursuing and growing in this practice of fasting. Let's pray. I'm um, Jesus, we need you now. We need your grace. We need your healing. We need wisdom. And we pray that you would work in powerful ways among us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.